Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. Excited to be back with you here on this episode. This will mark our 30th episode, and I'm excited about that. I want to talk to you again, and I want to continue on the thought that we were talking about last time. I just had a little bit more stuff that I did not get in in time. I'm trying to keep these, as you know, around 20 to 25 minutes. So sometimes I run out of time before I get through what I want to get through. But I want to talk to you on this episode about the law, and we'll call this law part two. But, you know, the idea, again, the preface that I spoke from last time was the idea that the law, what is the law when the Bible speaks of the law? And what does it mean? Because, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but not to do away with the law. And this is, if you read commentaries, you can read endlessly, and this topic is really debatable. I mean, it almost seems like in the New Testament, truly, that on one hand, the law was fulfilled, and the other hand, the law needs to be still met. But on the other hand, it seems like that the law was done away with. So I don't think anything is real simple in this unless you spend some time studying which I've tried to do. But I talked to you last time about the law, and basically I come down to how the Pharisees would come against Jesus and they would talk to him and they would say he's breaking the law, like when he took of the corn on the way to the synagogue. And he took of the corn and they said, you know, what did your disciples do in eating? Well, well, he didn't break the law, but they broke one of their laws, one of their rules that they had come up with. And, you know, he had kept the Sabbath holy. That was part of the fourth commandment. They were saying, you know, you're breaking another law, not necessarily the Ten Commandments, not necessarily the Mosaic law, but more than likely uh, one of their laws. And and I, sp- I spoke about uh, those laws being one of the one of the main sets of laws that the Jewish people still follow is the Holocaust law, and that law has 613 laws, um, around half of them is positive, half of them is negative laws, but there are laws that they go by. And then, of course, we know the Pharisees come up with many more laws after that. But Jesus looks to the people when the, when the disciples took of the corn, he said, don't you know when David went into the temple and he and his men were hungry and he ate and he did not break the law? And he began quoting back to them when they challenged him. He had not broken the law, but he had broken one of their rules. Remember, one of the main things to remember when we're talking about the law is we're not just talking about works. We're not just talking about someone having good works, but the Pharisees and the religious people believed that their salvation was met through them doing these religious ordinances and following this law. Of course, you know, Jesus said, and also Paul later said, you know, and even Stephen accused the Pharisees and saying, hey, look, you haven't even kept the law yourself. So, but they thought their justification was in as long as they did two or three hundred things a day or what have you, as long as we've done these certain things, then that means that we are okay. We are right. Our righteousness is not fulfilled in the Messiah coming like Abraham believed. Remember, Abraham believed God and is imputed to him as righteousness because Abraham believed that the Messiah was coming, that he would make atonement for his sin. The the Pharisees did not necessarily uh, disown that and say the Messiah wasn't coming, but when Jesus came, they said he's not the Messiah, and we don't have to look for our righteousness in this coming Messiah. We look for our righteousness because we are right, because we're doing something good. And I think that very idea itself can creep into the church today to where we think, well, if we go to church, then that means we're righteous. Well, we don't go to church because we're righteous. We go to church because he 
died for us and out of a gratitude. And I've spoken with that on links, especially in the podcast that I did on grace. But this whole idea of the law, it gets more complex. Honestly, as I studied this, it was more complex than I way more complex than I intended on getting and 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 looking into. But it was I learned a lot through this study. But, you know, besides that Holocaust law, besides the law, of the Ten Commandments, there are other a few laws I want to talk to you about. And one of them, uh, one of those laws is basically the laws I mentioned before, but didn't go into the laws of, of the Pentateuch or also the Torah laws. And these are basically laws of blessing or cursings. An example of one of those uh, laws in the Pentateuch is, or Torah laws, you know, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, which we know uh, the Jewish people and the Pharisees knew these very well. One of those laws was in Exodus 19 and 5, and it says, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be the peculiar treasure unto me above all people. So it's a principal law of blessing that if you will keep my commandments, if you will keep my covenant, if you'll do what I asked you to do, then you will be my people and I'll bless you above all people. Remember what Abraham's blessing was, what God told Abraham. He said, I will make you father of many nations and I will bless you like the sand on the seashore. He will multiply you. And that's still a true principle today that God's people can trust that we will be blessed. And when I thank God that Jesus did not come and do away with that law. We still by faith can trust in righteousness by the work that Jesus did on the cross and still know that we indeed will be a peculiar treasure above all people. We are to be blessed. We are to have unmerited, unlimited favor with God. And that's a great law. But not only that was that the the Torah law, the the law of the Pentateuch, but also there was also the caustic law, and and a caustic law is a law. See, remember when they whenever Moses came in Exodus chapter twenty, and he was given the commandments by God. I believe in charting in chapter two when he was given the Ten Commandments, he was giving those Ten Commandments. Once he got those commandments, then. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, the people stood afar off and Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. So he gave the Ten Commandments. And then he went on for instructions for building the altar in chapter uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. And all the way through 21, there were laws of a slave, laws of violence. But within these laws that he talked about, he got the Ten Commandments, and then he started giving other laws. Remember, one of the laws that he gave in that was you shall not make an altar of hewn stone. You, if you make an altar of stone, it can't be hewn stone. It has to be natural stone. And there's a whole sermon and all that. But the point is, is that he was saying, you know, and also Exodus twenty twenty three, you shall not make gods of gold or silver. Not only the Ten Commandments did he talk about, you shall have no other gods before me, but then he goes on down to say, you shall shall not make any gods of these kinds, but the caustic law within that second set of laws, boy, isn't this, uh, doesn't it get complex if you really follow out the law of God, but the caustic law was something, if X happens, you must do Y, or if this comes upon you, you must do this. Uh, so in other words, one of those examples of a caustic law was this, the Exodus chapter 23, verse Four, if you find your enemy's ox, you must return it. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the things, for instance, one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not kill. That's pretty simple. Caustic law would be that if you do kill, 
you have to go to prison. That isn't a caustic law, but you see my point. And so it says if you're out and above and you see your enemy's oxen, you must return it even though he's your enemy. So it's saying these caustic laws are woven in the actual laws that were given and which would be called the covenant code laws. Those are the laws that were given after the 10 commandments, these covenant code laws. So you see these caustic laws now that's God's giving. And so it's very difficult when someone says, you know, the law is done away with or, or, you know, we don't need to follow the law. One thing I've noticed, I want to, I wanted to backtrack from last week and say this most generally when people talk about the law, they're talking about legalism. And we agree that you can't be legalistic, but I really think it's, and I'm going to say this, uh, the only way I know how to say it. I think if people in America really think they know what it's like to really, truly serve the law and that a church really does that, I think they're probably stretching uh, their imagination to a degree. I don't think we really understand the devotion that these people had. I think there are some other religions I do. I think there are some other religions that are coming a lot more closer than modern day Christianity to actually serving laws. I was walking down the street in Wellington the other day and I looked and I saw two people. It was on a Sunday and they were walking and it was hot and they were in long sleeve shirts carrying backpacks. You know what I'm talking about. They are devoted to doing that. Them young boys do that for at least two years of evangelism. I mean, they have to do that. The church requires them to do that. Now, I think there are some religions that come a lot closer, even the Muslims. And I hate to say that, but it's true. I mean, they are a devoted people. I was in Israel and I mean to tell you what they bowed down. It was, I believe it was 10 o'clock in the morning. They would bow down and on the loudspeakers over Israel, it would come on the prayers of the Muslim people. And you would look and you would see the mosques lined with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men bowed down with their faces facing down to the ground. And I mean, they prayed religiously. They have a law, a code that they serve, but I don't see that in modern day Christianity. I don't see a lot of that. Now, I'm not saying that people don't think they're saved by their works, but I think that's where we get things confused. And I think in the church today, the Christian people don't fall near as much into the trap of wanting to fall into the law. A person may fall into the idea that my works are saving me, but that's a separate issue than the law. So there is a, an idea and a thought that we talk about the law and what the law is, and then there's an idea of work salvation. But see, we also know that we can't do away with works, and we know that that's just ignorance, because James even said, he said that faith without works is dead. So we know that we need works. Truthfully, uh, a lot of times I think people use that idea for an excuse to sin, and I think that's what we really need to be careful of that we don't have an excuse for sin. One commentator wrote this as I was studying this morning, and he said that I think sometimes people use the Ten Commandments as their ceiling. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And they think, well, we don't need to do those things as our ceiling. But he said this, under grace, we should use the Ten Commandments as our floor, that you should never dip below that. Boy, isn't that deep? And do you think about that, though? Sometimes I think if we don't kill anyone, which God forbid, maybe some of these literatures have, maybe accidentally or something, but that we don't go out and maliciously kill someone, I, I hope we wouldn't, and I hope we wouldn't covet. 
But to say, oh, well, we've broken them all, so why not just go ahead and sin? Well, that's no. We know that Paul said, why shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So really, the Ten Commandments, I agreed with what the commentator said, should be our floor. It should just be a principle that we say, you know, we're not going to dip down below that. But... And then it goes on, Paul says, and you've broken every commandment. So the point of the law is to show us that we are sinners. So when we look to the law, we see it's like a mirror. When we look to and we break any part of the law and we make a mistake, which you've all done, we see a mirror that the law shows us we're a sinner. I believe God, when he convicted me of my sin 15 years ago, walking down an alley, I remember when the conviction began. Uh, I don't remember exactly the date, but I remember one of the times I was walking down down, down an alley and I had no intention of going to church. I had no intention of serving God, but I began to see myself for my selfishness. I began to see God began to show me that I was a selfish man and that I was living my life chasing after things that were not godly. And it was my Months later, I walked into a church service and realized that, man, God is the answer. But the idea of me seeing myself as a sinner, there was no victory in that. A mirror is just to show you who you are, but a mirror, the law of God and the rights and wrongs don't give you anything power to change. But we know that the law brings forth sin, but then we know that then the Spirit brings forth life. Paul said that. So it's by our faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes into our life at salvation that he allows us to change from that. And I think, truthfully, sometimes people are looking for a religion, and I'm going to call it that, a religion, and I'm going to call it that in a negative connotation. You know, I, I think that people are looking for a religion that really they can trust and, and, and believe and, and not, not believe necessarily be a Satan worshiper, not necessarily do evil things, but they can just trust in a salvation that doesn't change. That alone is being under the curse of the law. And Paul talks about that, that we are, that we are not to allow to have, to let sin to have dominion over us. In Romans chapter six, verse 14, sin cannot have dominion over me. But if you look and you think, well, I'm doing pretty good. There's, you know, I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes, but I'm just going to have this blind faith in God and it's not really going to change me and I'm just going to continue in my sin. That's not even salvation at all. And I think that's the danger in the world church today in the United States of America. I think we're in danger of belief in a, in a, salvation, a false salvation, a false God that we just do some acts like go to church every once in a while, maybe put a little money in the offering, maybe do a good deed, maybe tip the waitress well. And somehow, because we have this faith, we don't repent of our sin. We don't turn. We don't change. There's really nothing. Hey, I've heard it said long ago that a salvation that cannot change you will never save you. Think about how the that's the epitome of ignorance to believe that a, you could have a salvation of an all-powerful God that formed you out of dust, that breathed breath into your body, that flung the stars into the sky and carved the seas out with his hands and filled the oceans, and it wasn't any of it hard for him. And at once, he could just speak one word. Without even speaking, he could create the heavens and the earth by thinking it. He could just make it into an existence. And by the way, by him just thinking it, then it all could dissolve and he could rebuild it all again. That that kind of God that made us would save us and then not change us. That's ignorance. That's, that's ludicrous. 
That's horrible to think that that type of salvation. But I'm afraid that if we tell people you don't need works, the law was done away with. There's really nothing we can do. We just kind of, you know, just kind of trust in God. Hey, for 29 years, I'm not talking about someone that's doing bad things. I'm talking about my life for 29 years. I said this prayer. Lord, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Please watch over and guide me in Jesus' name. Amen. I prayed that prayer nearly every day till I was 29 years old and I was lost. I was without God. I had not a salvation. I went to church once every two or three years. I was a selfish person, self-centered. I was a horrible man. I lived not by any principles of the Bible, but I just said this prayer. And so I say this, I think there's a lot of religion in the world today that looks like that, that's called Christianity. And I'm not trying to be hard on people. I'm just saying what I observe. I've never seen the like in the church that church people complain to church people that they're trying to live holier. They're trying to abstain from alcohol. They're trying to keep from living unholy. And then they say, well, they're legalists. Well, that don't save you. You know, it's just sad, sad, sad place to be. You know, I I think about the law, and I love how some of the laws of sowing and reaping are in the Scripture. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that may also reap. There is a law, not just the Old Testament law, not just caustic laws. You know, remember, that was X happens, then you must Y, or not just the laws of the Pentateuch or the blessings or cursing laws, and not just the laws of the Holocaust laws, like I spoke about in the last episode, but also there are reaping and sowing laws. And I think when Jesus came, he established this. Of course, Paul said that in Galatians chapter 6, he established these sowing and reaping laws that you know that we are to sow and to reap and trust and i believe that if you if you take a life that's lived out that is unholy i think you know that you're still going to be you're going to be reaping ungodly things and you know i think it's important when we think about the law when we look at romans chapter 9 verse 32 it says this paul said this wherefore they sought it by work of the law and not by faith they should stumble at the stumbling stone these pharisees this law we're talking about they actually stumble over the stumbling stone i believe that's happened today i believe this faith that believes that we can be saved that we don't need to change that that is just some wild thing that they've invented in their own mind you know that it was works of law, not by any true faith that was found in the work that Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, they stumble over the stumbling stone. I said this in church last night. I'm afraid if the true Jesus of the Bible ever showed up in some of our churches, then some of our churches would be scared to death and run out the door. I mean that. They're nothing more than social clubs. Now, do I say that we're the only good church or, you know, the Midwest is the only place? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this idea, this lackadaisical approach to God and this way of believing that, oh, well, everything in the Old Testament's done away with and we don't have to do it. It's just all in faith. That's a blind faith and it's not a genuine faith. And I think we're stumbling over the very person. I believe the power of God is being so limited to this idea that I'm just to be a better person. Listen, salvation doesn't come to us to change the old man. 
The old man is done away with. The old man is to die. We are to take up our cross. We're to be changed by the power of God into a different person. God's not interested in taking the old man and dressing him up and making him look better. God wants the old man to die. He wants Jason to die to his sin, to die to his selfishness, to die to his life the way he thinks things should be. And then and only then can God have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit for the new man to come alive in me. The new man that's yielded to Christ, that's serving Christ, that's sold out to doing what he wants me to do. Only then can I have the spirit of life. That's the goal. That's when Jesus came and he went to a cross and he talked about these things. He did not ever want to do away with any kind of holiness. Jesus himself said this, be ye holy as I am holy. I quoted that on the last time I spoke on the last podcast, but we need to live a holy life separate. We are to be a different, a peculiar people, the Bible says, and that's what we need to push towards. I believe we need to push and push and push. You know, in Psalms chapter one, I quoted a lot of times, but it said, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counseling godly, who standeth in the way of sinners for citizens, seed is scornful, but He that meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That's Psalms chapter one, because we are to meditate on the law of the Lord, on the scripture, on the Holy scripture, the old first five books, the old Testament, all the other ones in between all 66 books. We need to think about scripture, put in our mind, put in our heart, hide the word of God in our heart that we may not sin against the Lord. The power of God is the word of God, the complete word of God, including the 10 commandments, including the law. We need to meditate and learn and study to show ourselves the prove unto God. That's all scripture. And we need to hide that word in our heart that we may not sin against the Lord. That's our call. Be holy as I am holy, separate. Every time someone encountered Christ and the power of God, it changed their position. Moses, he said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Isaiah, he said, touch my lips. Oh, I'm an unclean man. Listen, I looked at whenever Moses come down off the law here in Exodus chapter 20, and it said they stood afar off. They, they were scared. They trembled. When the woman was touched with the issue of blood, touched the hem of Jesus' garment, then he was walking, and he said, where did this virtue come from? And she, the Bible says she fell down at his feet and trembled before Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible, a holy, a righteous, a person that wants you to be changed by the power of the gospel. That's the, that's the God that we serve today in the true Christian church. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. Until next time, God bless.